Welcome to another episode of the behind-the-scenes content for Wonder Woman Spirit of Truth by Don't Sue Us, Please. Today, listeners, you're in for a wild ride. Our lovely writer, John Petrie, and our amazing creative producer, Nora Barpal, got absolutely wasted and watched the Wonder Woman movie. Now, originally, this was going to be a watch-along episode where you would be able to play the Wonder Woman movie at the same time they were watching. They were going to deliver timestamps, and you would get to experience it with their commentary on top. Now, if we had thought this through just a little bit more, we would have realized that we already tangent excessively, and that adding alcohol to this mix was just a terrible idea, or if you're our team, a brilliant idea. We get so off track and so out into the woods that it's not even a watch-along episode anymore. It's just a drunk conversation. They are listeners watching the Wonder Woman movie, and we'll reference it from time to time, but really, it just makes no sense. I'd also like to add that due to the presence of alcohol and our absolute inability to keep on track, this conversation has some pretty large cuts in it. Some of them have voiceovers like this, and others don't, but I doubt you'll actually notice the difference. Enjoy talks about Wonder Woman, vaguely, and deep societal issues and the perspective of these two wonderful people. This conversation was recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic, and thus is recorded over Zoom. We apologize for any of the sound quality issues you may encounter. Finally, before we get started, I just want to let you guys know that episodes like this are brought to you by listeners like you subscribing to us on Patreon. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the superhero podcast. Enjoy the episode. This is Antiope. Okay. Now, if you go back to um, the Wonder Woman comics myth, Antiope, I'm pouring myself some more wine here. I haven't even finished the first glass. I'm just going to top it off. Um, so in the Wonder Woman comics, Antiope, uh, when the Amazons were freed, actually took a group to seek revenge, whereas the other Amazons went to Themyscira. Oh. She's impressive. I like her. Are her cuffy thingies magic? Or is she magic? Where did the magic come from? So we'll get that a little further in, but I'm okay. fascinated that her first lines in the movie are, sorry, I'm sorry. Ooh, interesting. Okay. Um, because all I can think of is my old English teacher talking to me about like opening lines and then reading us the first line to 1984 and talking about how much it fit the tone of the book. So it's kind of interesting mm. to me. Um, excuse me. It's interesting to me that that's her first line. That is interesting. I wouldn't have like noticed that. But now that you say it, it is really interesting. So oh, no. I have, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, you, you go ahead. I'm just reacting. So I was going to say, there's a lot of theories from a standpoint as to why they placed this in World War One instead of in World War Two. Okay. And, you know, a lot of like comic fans are like, well, because Captain America was placed during World War Two, they didn't want to do another World War Two superhero movie, blah, 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 blah. And there's a lot of talk about, you know, well, it was the first, and, you know, the filmmakers do a lot of talking about, well, it's the first mechanized war, et cetera, et cetera. For me, I find it fascinating because obviously there was no, there was no ambiguity of good versus evil in World War II. Um, whereas World War One was much more, like World War One started right. because of people's, alliance because of one country's alliances with other countries' alliances. There was no great sort of moral Yeah, um, right. That makes perfect World War sense. One. It was is very morally confused, which I think is fascinating to put her in 
because she is very much, um, you know, it, this is very much a, like, um, how do I put this? It's very much about trying to figure out a contemporary morality when you've always been raised with good, evil, bad, good, um, and being put in a position where people are doing things not because they, you know, there's during World War One when people were doing things simply because of alliances and then you kind of get swept into it. Obviously, I'm looking at it from a, an historical perspective and I'm, I'm not a World War One scholar by any stretch of the imagination. Also, she's so pretty. Is this what women are supposed to be? Because I can't handle this. This is too much so nonsense. Actually, I can speak to that if you would like. Yeah, go for so, it. So in the original comics from the 40s um the amazons pretty much always wore all of the same thing and but they were a varying they were there were not amazons of color at that point but there were amazons of size at that point with terrible names just so we're all aware but um you know the idea for me of this and obviously i'm not a, a woman i'm looking at this from a from my perspective is the idea that when you're raised without body shame, when you're raised without shame, how you look is how you look and you just, you know, you just are all of these things. Okay. This is wild. So we, we are at the beach fight scene now. Um, and what's interesting is, um, uh, a lot of people, a lot of women especially, were talking about how powerful this scene was to see all of these women just like kicking ass and laying waste to these guys. Um, oh, completely. This is so cool. Um, but I, and one of the things that I love about it is sort of the organization that all of them have and the fact that they are all, I mean, they have trained to do this every day for, you know, 3000 years, hoping that they would never have to do it, but they're all in this sort of perfect sink of understanding. But also the fact that when they like left guns, wouldn't have like existed yet. So what they were training for is like a world that doesn't exist almost. Cause that was really interesting that like the first one dies obviously and you watch her get shot. And so, well, that was cool. The three arrow shot was real cool. Um, well, and that's really interesting too, that like they, yeah, I guess when you think about it, like if they have been here for so long, they have no idea what's going on in the outside world, which is so crazy. Yeah. And the other thing, you know, we're so used to sort of seeing these big action movies where people die all the time and people get shot, et cetera, et cetera. But that's really the first time that Diana has probably ever experienced someone dying. Right. Now, fun side note, Dr. Poison was the first masked villain that Wonder Woman fought <gasps> in Ooh. Sensation Comics number two. Um and literally her costume was pretty much that with just a mask, a domino mask. Ah, so. oh, why? Ugh. You know, part of this, because Patty Jenkins, who directed it, said she wanted sort of a Casablanca meets Raiders of the Lost Ark feel. And I think that sort of this, this sort of Casablanca romance thing is one of those things where people are like, I'm never going to have a guy like Steve Trevor or I'm never going to have a woman like Wonder Woman. And then you sort of set yourself up for failure, um, which okay. I mean is totally understandable, but. Cause yeah, I hope that guys really don't actually expect a woman Wonder Woman type person because like. Well, it's interesting when you sort of think of the ideas um, that are universally accepted by us, like marriage, monogamy, um, polygamy, you know, as we sort of move into this, this world of, you know, these sort of accepted social norms and all of a sudden you meet someone who doesn't have them and you're trying to explain them and you realize, oh, this is a ridiculous concept that I am trying to explain. 
but it's so universally accepted in this world that we'll, that we'll do it. Now, supposedly, a lot of this was improvised. I don't know how much of it. I wish I was on the set. This is one of those things where I'm like, okay, you know, when I get the magic lamp, what do you want to do? I want to be on the set of Wonder Woman for a couple of days so I can just hang out with all of these people. Um, that's probably Wait, not what I'm Why does she for, sleep in her metal body armor wristlets? That is a very oh, good question. He's back to his penis? What? Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> um, he took that better than I thought he was going to. Well, you know, you, you've just been to a magical island with. That's you know, true. A bunch of women who could destroy you with one finger. So. Yeah. Okay, fair. He really likes to talk about his, his member quite a bit. She's read a lot of books about sex. Okay. That's. <laughs> okay. Well, when you're an immortal on, you know, on a, an island that is, you know, doesn't have the distractions of cable and social media. What is there to do? Except but for read. read about sex. You're right. I'm going to say, I'm going to go on record as saying, I can't wait to be retired. My mother used to say, um, before she passed, she was always like, I'm busier now than I was when I was working. And I was like, I don't know about you, mom, but when I retire, I am going to sit in a chair all day with a cup of tea and a good book. And that's going to be all that I do all day long. So I will take all 12 volumes of Cleo's treatises on pleasure. It is that interesting? I am totally But also that, that was just like, I don't know, that felt very Hollywood manufactured because if I met someone of the opposite sex for the first time, I would not have the instinct to talk, start talking about sex with them. Oh, that was, oh, I didn't like that. Right. But again, think about, think about what that is. That's because we've been sort of told, well, you don't discuss sexuality, but it's her first meeting. You know, is that something she would talk about? Well, she doesn't bring it up, but she also doesn't shy away from it either. I you know, guess. Is that idea. It just and seems I, like you would have so many other questions. I guess that's the thing is like personal pleasure versus like, oh my God, there's this entire other world. Like that just feels like that wouldn't be the conversation. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And I totally get it. I think and it I feels just, like very Hollywood love story to me where it's like, oh, you saw me naked. Cause like, I, I don't know. That just seems like it would be such an, a weird conversation and not just because it's about sex, but like out of all the things you could talk about when there's an entire universe something that kind of to some extent doesn't exist even if you're alone. No, I, to I totally understand that. And I don't disagree at all. I think for me, I keep looking at it in terms of, excuse me, we are often told to sort of feel shame. I guess that's true. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, about having like, like don't talk about money. Don't talk about, sexuality don't talk about this don't talk about that and there's this um so that comes into play later on in the movie sorry i totally couldn't remember what the word was for it it's okay we're having a moment <laughs> so now another side note here um i read a lot of stuff when this movie came out about how um people don't um they sort of felt like the movie at this point kind of makes fun of diana a little bit by making her this sort of fish out of, wa out of water type of thing. And it doesn't necessarily feel that way to me. I don't know how it reads to you, but it sort of reads to me again as someone making a commentary on, on the larger culture and saying, well, why do I have to wear this? Why do I have to look like this? Why can't I do this instead? And again, I don't know how you read it, but that's just to me. The idea of saying, oh, no, this is what you have to look like. Right. When she's never experienced it before. Right. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And the things that she thinks about needing to do. I also like that she was like, oh, you do all those things. That's slavery. Here's our first major cut, listeners. There were like six different tangents in this conversation. 
I'm going to take us forward to where the conversation gets vaguely back on track. Um, now, here is, of course, where she sees sort of the first, where are we? Where it, one hour, six minutes and 55 seconds. Um, sort of where she first sees, um, you know, because keep in mind, up until now, war has been a theory to her, you know? Um, and it's just about defeating Ares, and she doesn't see all of, like, the negative side effects that come from that. Right. So this is where it becomes this, you know, this very real thing. It's sort of like, you know, you're, you know, when we are in school and we're talking about the Great Depression, we're talking about, um, you know, we're talking about all of these things that are all theoretical and none of them are, are the actuality. And now she's sort of beginning to see the actuality of what war does to the world and in that previous scene where they're talking and and she's kind of say she's saying you know well he you know this one's a murderer this one's a liar this one's a, a smuggler and he says well i have done all of those things and you know she begins to see that you can't necessarily make this is sort of me you know the, going like, against what i said previously about, you know, the world being complicated, but she sort of sees, well, you know, sometimes it's the, the, the intent of the act and sometimes it's the act itself. Right. Um, now here is this interesting argument, which to me is quintessential Diana, which is how they're trying to convince her, her well, we have to do all of these, you know, this is what our mission is. Our mission is to end this larger threat. Whereas she's saying, no, one, one human life is worth more. You know, this is what it is. We have to stop here. We have to help these people here. Um, you know, which is one of those things that we often do. You know, it's those questions from like the ethics, your ethics classes and your philosophy classes, like, well, what's the greater good? Right. You know. Um, no, it's really interesting is, is that whole concept of like, I can't articulate it. Yes. Are, are you, are, how many glasses are you in? Um, like two and a half. Okay. Yeah. I think I'm also a lightweight. I also like hit like a point and then all of a sudden I'm just like at that point forever until I'm like blacked out. I've never blacked mm -hmm. out, but I think that that's like, I hit a point. Okay. So I'm a, I'm a little tipsy. Okay. Um, I'm also so, just not the most articulate person, as we've already learned from this entire podcasting experience. That's not true. But where did all of these clothes come from? Like, so was she always wearing this under or like... Yes, this is what was underneath. But where so, did the crown come from? Because she wasn't wearing that. I love uh, this catwalk moment, though. <laughs> I'm okay with the catwalk moment. Um, <laughs> so we are at 114.50. Um, I don't like that this is what men want in a woman because like your homegirl cannot. I'm in pajamas right now drinking a shit ton of wine watching this and thinking about how much I don't look like that. But I'm into the catwalk moment for her. So it's interesting. So, okay. I can't Has anyone actually everything. ever tried to run in wedges? Because you can't like okay, that. So, fun fact. She actually was in trainers. Um, when they did this and they CGI'd the boots. Uh-huh. Yeah. So see, we just shouldn't create unrealistic beauty standards, like going to full out war in wedges. Like that's a bear, like that's a line for me. Well, like, now it's unrealistic beauty standards to an extent, but like, did you have to put her running in high heels? So it, this is an interesting conversation and we probably shouldn't have it. Cause I'm three glasses in and you're two and a half glasses in and we're watching wonder woman, which means we should have it. For sure, because so that's have what it. is going to make so Josh happy. It's interesting because as a gay man, as a gay cis man, I often think in terms of unrealistic body images and like, why don't I look like Chris Pine? And why don't I have washboard abs? And why don't I have like, you know, sculpted pecs and all of that? But mm -hmm. I have come to realize that is what I am putting upon myself. And just because 
these images are telling me, you know, like adult entertainment in images and the images in like commercials and all of that. It's like, I don't have to buy into that. You know, I, I feel like I need to be able to say, well, you know what? I don't look like Chris Pine and that's okay. That doesn't make me less than Chris Pine. So I'm always sort of fascinated when we begin to talk about body image and body expectations and the idea of that, because what's interesting is I don't know, I don't know that there's sort of ever been a time when Wonder Woman has ever sort of, has ever said like, oh, you know, this person's unattractive because they're heavier. This person's more attractive because they're thinner. So I often feel like for me, but in, I can't. to some extent, it's like, I know everyone was like super into this because it was like, so bo- like women positive and like the woman's a hero, but also like to some extent, it's super kind of not feminist because like who the fuck looks like that when they're fighting a war? Like that's not realistic and that's not feminism. That's like, I have to look super pretty while doing all the work that a man can't do in this situation. Like none of her male counterparts in this movie could come in here and kick ass like this but she's like she has to so like that's super feminist like yay she can kick ass but in the same breath it's like but why does she also have to look amazing while doing it like that in and of itself is such a social construct of like men want a girl that can like kick ass and is so great but also has to look beautiful at the same time i yeah i totally i totally agree um and i don't know Shoot, you said something super important. I can't remember it. Um, okay, so first of all, there are a lot of reasons that I would call this movie not feminist. And that, now that you've spoken that, that's probably another one. Okay, here's logic fallacy number three. Where did the sword go? Um, it just kind of disappeared. Um, just went. It went, it just, guys. It just it went. went. It just went along with all my self-esteem every time I look at Chris Pine. Um, Every time I look at Diana, I'm glad we're on the same page. (laughs) Different people, same page. Hi, listeners. I'm back. At this point, Nora and John wax poetically about the times before the internet and Nora's experience being the youngest black belt in Texas. We're going to skip forward now. So, but here's here's an interesting. I I don't know. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question. That seems like not physics, but okay, continue. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question, and I don't okay. know if this is a, I don't know if this is a societal thing. I don't know if it's like a, a media thing. I don't know if it's a man-woman thing, but it's like when men go to see, like when men watch like action, like I don't know a straight guy who went to see this and was like, "Damn, I'm not as buff as Chris Pine," but. I do think there were women who saw this and and were feeling exactly as you felt, which is I'd love to kick ass, but I know I'm not going to look good doing that. Do you think that's a societal thing or do you think it's just that men are wired to be so incredibly (laughs) self-centered? And I don't mean that in a bad way. (laughs) I mean, do you think? I think it has to be a societal thing because all of the gay men I know as you just said, look at that and go, oh, well, I'm not Chris Pines. And so I think it has to be, to some extent, a societal straight man thing where, like, it's just straight men that look at this and go, yeah, I'm, like, a badass. And, like, I could have done that. And, like, everyone else is like, why am I not that good? Like, why I have some extra weight here and I could, like, do this and, like, I really need to, like, do this other thing and, like, people don't find me attractive. And, like, I think it's just straight men that, like, look at the world and just go, like, yeah, I'm really great. But, I think so it now, has to be. I'm going to get a lot of hate mail. I'm so sorry, straight men out there, but not that sorry. So now I'm going to ask another question. Tell me if this is, if you think this is an unfair question. Oh, God. So why, I guess, how do I put this? This is probably just a rehash of the same question. But, um. You know, why is it that you think that women take that upon themselves? Because clear, I mean, clearly this is an action movie. It's, you know, very heightened. It's, you know, Shakespeare with guns. 
but there's still this thought of like, oh, I want to kick ass, but I can only, but I can't look that good while I'm kick ass. But at the same time, it doesn't seem to me like there's a sort of subtext in the movie that says you can only be Wonder Woman if you look like this. Right. I think that, yeah, I think it's like a societal thing because like, there's no one saying that in this and like, but that's still my first instinct is to be like, Oh, well she's like, and that was something like even leading up to us talk, like watching this, it was like, Oh, well like wonder woman's so great. And she's so pretty. And like, I'm not wonder woman. Like, you know, I think women feel this way so often and other, I think people in general that fall into these non mainstream categories, because it's like put on us that like, that we're not enough unless we like, please straight men almost in a sense like societally because like I mean Josh and I started a whole freaking nonprofit this month in the middle of a global pandemic and I graduated from my master's and I have like a job like a normal stable job and I still feel like I'm not enough and I'm not doing enough and I think that like to some extent that's a societal thing that's like oh well no one finds me attractive and therefore I'm not enough so I think it's like, that's like a lot about me. You're welcome world. Um, I hope everyone's <laughs> tuned out by now, but I think it's like a societal <laughs> thing. Like despite being like, I mean, I know my parents are so proud of me and like, I have friends that have like texted me during this and they're like, you got your master's during a pandemic, not to like toot my own horn, but like at the same time, I don't ever feel comfortable saying like, wait a second, I did this thing and it's kind of cool. And like Josh and I started a nonprofit because we were like, wait a second, how do we fix things? And like, you know, Josh is my favorite and I love Josh and I know Josh is on this call, but to some extent, like I'm leading that and Josh is, is not. And like, so me as a woman is leading and and as a Latino woman is being the executive director and Josh is kind of taking, you know, the secondary role to me. And like, that still feels like I'm not enough even though I have so many people in my life that are saying I am and that I've accomplished all these things. And like, I think there's a small part that's always kind of like, well, but there are women that have done all these things. And then also someone really thinks that they're great. And like, no one looks at me and says like, wow, she's really pretty or wow. She's like so great and like unattainable. It's kind of like, I'm just doing this thing. And everyone thinks that like, that's weird and off and not right. And like, I think that there's like this just societal thing that like, if you don't also have a man while you're doing this, something's wrong about that. I don't know how to explain it, but I think that there's like this small part to that. So it's, I don't know. Josh can edit all of this out. Josh. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yep. Three and a half classes in. Woohoo. I, I, you know, I'm actually literally like halfway, more than halfway through a bottle of wine, which I don't think I've done since like trying to study for grad school. So congratulations. Um, That's how I study for grad school, but I'm done with it. Because, you know, if you study while you're drunk, all you have to do is take the exam while you're drunk and you'll do really well. Actually, fun story. I did take an exam in grad school, kind of a little bit drunk. So my, I didn't realize until like the day of that the final didn't start until like, I think it was like seven or eight o'clock. It was like seven o'clock at night, which the class usually started at eight. And then this exam started at like seven, eight, something crazy. And I get off work at five. And so I went like downstairs, just like, there's this cute little restaurant next door that has this great happy hour with, you know, oysters on the half show, which are my favorite and wine and whatever so I like had a few glasses and I was like a little buzz and I went and took my finance exam and I got like a hundred and six percent on my finance exam um so anyway if you want me to do your finances only ask me when I'm drunk okay that's the moral so, of the story of that was things. a wild story that should not have gone there no 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 so first of all new possible drag name Esther Halfshell um, Ooh, I do like it. <laughs> okay, yeah. so I'm going to add that to my list. I literally have a list on my phone of Wait, possible drag names. Do you names. do drag? No, I don't. Because you I do don't, drag? No, we- I don't have enough energy or time 
to do it. So just so you know, we actually just makeup. My mom was a hair and makeup artist before getting her PhD and going into education, which is wild. And that's a whole story in and of itself. But my mom used to be a hair and makeup artist and now she has a PhD and she's the CEO of a company of a whole foundation. But I could do your hair and makeup and we could totally do a drag show. Okay. So first of all, I would love that. Now I have done drag before when I have, I, in a separate life, I was an occasional actor and I have done drag before for shows. And I will say the thing that I hate more than anything is putting the glue stick over my eyebrows. Um, It bothers me immensely that I have to like do that. So anyway, just in case anyone figured it out, I've never done drag makeup and also can't tell from my appearance that I ever do my makeup. But I actually know how to do makeup fairly effectively. No, I'm sure you do. Okay, can we circle back to something that we were talking about um, with this idea of, you know, I am fascinated. I mean, okay, so let me just quantify this. I do not have the best self-esteem in the world for a lot of reasons. But (laughs) what I will say is I am sort of, I'm fascinated by two things. First of all, I'm fascinated by the idea of, um, okay, so two things that I'm fascinated by. I feel like maybe next time we shouldn't even watch a movie. We should just get really drunk and have a conversation um, because I'm worried you that I'm- You do this as like part of our lives. This. I love you. No, I love this. I love you. I love this. Josh and I are texting on the side. This is like my favorite day ever, so. Oh, Nora, I adore you. Heart. Look, I'm making. I'm probably like too drunk to make a heart. Okay. So here's the thing. This is nice, actually, because we're in the middle of a global pandemic. So when people watch this years later and they're like, why were they so lovey dovey about a Zoom call? We're in a global (laughs) pandemic. This is hard. What did the 20th century America give? What did the 21st century give the world? A global pandemic. F yeah, bitches. Okay. So here's my question. So first of all, I'm sort of fascinated by the fact that I'm sort of fascinated by the fact that so many people who are marginalized women, LGBTQ people, people of color, um, you know, just sort of everyone. I'm sort of fascinated by the fact that we don't all sort of somehow we've bought into the myth that there's only so much room at the table and that we have to turn on each other and say, you can't be at the table because I want to be at the table. And I'm sort of fascinated by the fact that we all don't just sort of go, wait a minute, this table is ours. It's, it's the people who are telling us and convincing us that there's not enough room who need to go. And I think, like, we're really starting to see that. Um, Because, like, I mean, even the fact that, like, you know, you and I are working on this. And, like, again, we we keep having this. I'm Latina, but, like, I don't look it. And I I don't experience the same kind of norms. But at the same time, my family experiences it. And, like, most of my grandparents don't speak, didn't speak English. Like, so, like, I have some of these. And, like, getting to work with you as a gay black writer has like just been so inspiring to me. And like the fact that, you know, Matt and Kelly, Matthew and Kelly and Josh's allies have given us, given us a table, I mean, a table to such an extent where they're just kind of like, yeah, we believe in you guys. You tell us what to do. And I think we're really starting to see that. And I'm seeing that in so many of my friends of color where they're saying like, wait a second, where it's not about us against each other. It's about us coming together and fighting against all of these other things and saying like, you know what, we're going to create a better society. And I think that to some extent too, it's, it's even something that's not new. It's because I lived in Washington Heights, uh, which fun fact, that's where Lynn, uh, Manuel Miranda lives. Um, but it, it, and so in the Heights is based off of that. And you know, the movie's coming out next year or whatever. And, you know, you, you watch this and I feel that in my own community. And that's part of why I moved there is I wanted to be a, around people that were part of a very similar heritage to me instead of being in a white community. Cause I always grew up in the suburbs. And I think 
being in a community of color, I've felt that a lot more where I don't feel like it's a, I have a seat at the table, which means you can't. And like this fighting, it's, we're all going to get there together. Cause the women who have always taken care of me are black women. It's not always Latino women. And a lot of times it's Latino women saying like, well, you're not Latina enough, but I've always had black women who come in and go, you're one of us and we're going to take care of you. And there's like this really cute old man down the street from me who is a black man. And he makes sure I'm keeping my head right. Every time I walk past that coffee shop, he says like, are you okay? How's school going? How's work? Are you relaxing enough? You got to sleep. You got to thank God. Like, you got to keep your head straight. And so I think communities of color, when we're allowed to be ourselves, have kind of felt that. And we're fighting for this seat at a table in a very different way. And once you, like, break down that norm of even the table itself, that's if I'm just off on a tangent. I'm just, I'm going to give up now. No, I think Josh is gonna Josh is gonna take the pieces of that that made any sense. <laughs> Wait, what is he saying? Is he texting you? I said no, no. I said Josh is just gonna. I'm gonna have Josh take the pieces of that that made. I just rambled for a bit there. No, but here's just the, the fact that I think we say that a lot. Very seriously, we say that a lot. That like you know, um, because because we always we aren't always the most supportive, and we do invite, but the women who have always made sure to take care of me outside of my family are black women who have taken me under their wing and said, no, you're one of us. And, you know, especially since moving to New York, I've had several, you know, work moms that are, that are black women that have said your mom's far away. Cause my mom lives in California and I live in New York. And they've said, we're going to make sure you're fed. We're going to make sure that you're doing okay. We're going to make sure that you know that you're loved and that you have someone to call. And they see that, you know, maybe I don't have that in New York or that my community might not always be giving that to me. And they're the women that have stepped in to give me that and, you know, met my mom and been like, oh, we love your kids. Like, you know, we're just so happy to be here and we would want you to do the same for ours. And that's why we're here. And that's why we do what we do. And so I think sometimes you see it and sometimes you don't. But I, I, you know, I would like to say that I've always had black women step up and be that for me and so that's something that is really inspiring I think about our communities is that no matter what we go through and how much we sometimes have to be like well I have a seat at the table and you can't we we still always are there for each other and that's a really big thing in communities of color is is trying is understanding that we're all put down by the same kind of ideals and that we're all gonna like come together yeah I think you know it's interesting because I think a lot of people who are marginalized do that on a community level. But I'm always sort of fascinated that we don't do it on a larger, we culturally, societally don't do it on a larger level, you know, because, you know, there's this sort of think globally, act locally kind of thing. And it's sort of fascinating to me that, that that's how we sort of approach often interpersonal relationships say that I think that yeah what you said you asked me the original question and the way I took it at the community level is very different than the global level where yeah there is there is kind of room for one person at the table and that is really interesting and it's something I think I've always felt really guilty about too being a very light-skinned Latina who's grown up in the culture and again three out of my four grandparents did not speak English as their first language and some of them never really spoke English and, you know, having that experience, but being very light skinned and white passing and now creating a nonprofit with Josh and like, technically I'm the executive director. And in a lot of ways I'm like, well, I shouldn't be like, do I deserve this seat at the table? I'm not really Latina or I'm not Latina enough. And I think we like, that's a really interesting like global perspective of, how do we have enough seats at the table that no one's questioning their seat at the table and no one's fighting over that seat at the table? Yeah. Now, the other thing that I'm fascinated about, and this I'm circling way back, where you were talking about, you know, you've gotten a master's degree during a pandemic. You started a nonprofit during a pandemic. Uh, All of these things. But, you know, if I don't have all of these things that I was 
told I should, was supposed to have, that I was told I was supposed to want, I'm not good enough. And I'm fascinated. Um, and this is slightly hypocritical of me because I, I, I sort of do this all the time. I'll circle back to that in a second. But I'm sort of fascinated. Okay, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to circle right on top of it. Because my, I was very lucky. My parents were always like, it doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter where you live, all that you need, you know, be happy and be kind. Just as long as you're that, you're golden. Don't worry about anything else. And, you know, um, I was, you know, seven years old taking ballet classes and my dad never said a thing about it. I was, you know, nine and I ten years old. Love that for going you. Going to the library, getting Nancy Drew books. My parents never said to me, "Those are for girls." Never, never, not once did they ever say anything like that to me. Um, you know, all of those kinds of things. And what's fascinating, <clears throat> excuse me, is I have realized all of the pressure that I've sort of put on myself, put putting on myself, putting on myself put on myself to be like, well, you know, well, you're 50 now. Why aren't you doing this? Why don't you have this much in the bank? Why don't you do this? Um, you know, that's all stuff that I've put on myself, but I'm sort of fascinated at the fact that we as people, as humans, despite knowing better and being in a position where we, um, how do I put this? despite being in a position that's come after year, like, I mean, psychotherapy was like big in the sixties and seventies. Like we've had all of these years of psychoanalysis. We've had all of these years of sort of self-help books and, you know, um, uh, you know, gurus and, you know, religion and rescuers and all of these things. <laughs> and yet we're still at a point where we allow other people to dictate what we should be and what we want. And I'm fascinated because, <clears throat> I mean, I'll make a joke like, oh, if other people don't like you, how do you know if you like yourself? I'll make that about myself. I would never make that about somebody else. But I'm sort of fascinated at this idea that when someone says to us, well, why aren't you married or why don't you have children? that our first response isn't because I don't effing want it. What business is it of yours? I'm sort of, sort of fascinated that after all of these years of self-improvement of, I'm totally repeating myself right now. I'm sorry. I'm, no, and that's like, I'm no, really no, no, drunk sorry, and I'm probably like going to pass out. You. It's like, it's like a sigh. Um, that had nothing to do with you. That was like a thinking. Um, but like also even the fact that it's like, you just, you said that, like, because I don't want to, but like, also like, maybe I want to, but it hasn't happened yet. And why is that any less of a, oh, well, like the same kind of thing. Like, why don't we look at that and go like, okay, so it hasn't happened, but like, that's fine to the same extent. And I think that that was like a really interesting question that you posed. And I mean, my parents are super progressive and also got divorced when I was really young. So they're very much like, you don't need to get married and that's not the end all be all. And like, you don't need a man. And, um, I mean, this is a really fun fact. Um, so my family on one side, actually the house I'm at, that grandma and her side of the family, they've been educating women for generations and not as like a, you're going to go get an MRS degree. They're like, you're going to go get a degree. End of story. Like, that's what it is. Like, you need to be educated for you. And I think even with that, even with the progressiveness from both sides, from having a mom with a PhD and a dad that doesn't have a PhD and like all of these different gender role kind of swaps, still having that ingrained is so interesting to like, it's so deeply embedded in our society. You know what I mean? Like where it's like, right. even though I've always had the family that's been like, you don't need to get married and you don't need to have kids to be successful and you don't need to feel that way. And still feeling that way is so interesting. Right. And I just, I'm always sort of like, and, and I here, here's where I will claim privilege as a male and especially as a gay male, gay, gay male, gay man. 
I have not necessarily had those, um, those things put upon me. Like, why don't you have children? Why don't you have this? But I'm always sort of fascinated that, um, and again, this probably comes down to my parents that my, um, they were always like, we'll do whatever you want to do. You know, we don't care as long as you're happy, as long as you're not, as long as you're happy and you're not harming yourself or someone else, then we're, you know, but I sort of think like, why am I supposed to be on your timetable? And I don't, I don't know if maybe I'm going to try to tie this into Wonder Woman because that's what we're watching and we're at 144.38. But I'm, I'm sort of wondering <clears throat> now if maybe there was something in this that kind of related to my parent in Wonder Woman that kind of related to my parents where it, there was this sort of rejection of this societal norm. Like even now when I have friends who say to me things like, Oh, you're so lucky you don't have children or you're so lucky if you don't have this. And it's like, it doesn't have anything to do with luck. It has to do with the fact that I chose to do something different in my life. That's not luck. That's not good. That's not bad. It's simply different. And, and it's almost I, like talking about it reiterates the fact that that's what was expected. Like, yeah. oh, you're so lucky. But you're like, I, it wasn't, it was me doing my life. But that's what it feels like is when people, I mean, people even, I'm only 24 and people are like, oh, you're not dating and you're not married. And I'm like, I just went and got a master's degree and started a nonprofit and I'm really tired. And like right now I'm taking care of my grandma. That's like has stage four cancer. And I'm also living through a global pandemic. Like I'm really tired. Like it's just a lot happening right now. And I don't need someone else in that, that a lot of times don't, doesn't share the emotional burden of being in a relationship to make it worse. I also, okay. So side <laughs> note, I also read a book. I, I want to say it was maybe The Object of My Affection by Stephen McCauley, but I read this book with this character who was like, I have this theory that people who live alone look better because when you live with someone else, you're sharing all their stresses. <laughs> and people who live by themselves only have their own lives to deal with, and that's why they all look so young. That is um, really scary. If this is the youngest I'm going to look, if I'm going to like get into a relationship with someone else, I'm just going to get uglier and fatter. I'm very concerned that I need to stay single forever. That's so, just, okay. that's so for, what I picked up from this. And I know that wasn't your point, but that's what I got from the conversation. But there's nothing wrong. This one is a bummer, listeners. We lost Nora at the crescendo of her tangent. She just cut right out of the Zoom call. I'm going to start us where she gets back in. All right, Nora, give me the countdown and we'll start. To, we'll go to the end of the movie. Okay. okay, three, two, one. Okay, so we're back. We're at 151.16. We're both we probably another full glass super sidetracked in there. into it. I, I just, this is the rest of my bottle. Okay, yeah, I'm... Yeah, I just poured myself some more. Cause... We were, we got real off there for a hot sack. Yes. You know, I don't think we should think of ourselves as tangential. I think we should think of ourselves as Chekhovian. Like if you've ever read one of Chekhov's plays, his characters sort of go off onto these bizarre tangents and like talk about things that they shouldn't talk about. I feel like that would be me as a play. So here is where he does his villainous monologuing about why he's doing all of these things. Um, See, I feel like villains would win more if they just shut the fuck up. But there are always white men that want to tell you all about themselves. You know, I have a kind of I've a had a lot of wine. I have a kind of theory about that which is that I think because we never think of ourselves as the bad guys, we always have this desire to explain why we're doing something that we know is bad because we feel like if that person who's fighting against us, sorry, I lost track. 
I feel like we're doing drunk history right now. Um, like honestly, that's my dream. Josh and I have talked about it. Our goal <laughs> is to end up on drunk history. Uh, hopefully with with our nonprofit, but maybe with this podcast. I just want to be on drunk history because I feel like I'd be good at it. I, I just wondered, like, it. I keep forgetting how easy it is to get drunk. Um, I'm also thinking that maybe, anyway, what was I talking about? Okay, so. Josh, Josh, what were we talking about? <laughs> Wait, I was just talking about, um, oh, villains monologuing. Okay, wait, yes! I got it, I got White it. White men monologuing. I got it. So I think that they feel like if they can get that one person on their side, that they're justified in why they do what they do. Right. Um, no, that makes, I mean, like, that makes sense. I mean, it know, doesn't, but it does. Yeah. To them, think, it, yes. Yeah, there just seems to be this weird, it's like, if you have, it's like, it's like, I wish we would approach acts of evil the same that we, the way that we do explaining a joke. Like, we all know that if you have to explain a joke, it's a bad joke. And yet, you know, if you have to explain an act of evil, you shouldn't be doing it. We all know that. Um, Honestly, the fact that you just said that makes so much sense. And I think you should be in charge of people. I, you know, like I said, I would probably be one of those people who's just like, I don't understand why we're, you know. I would, I would feel like there would be a lot of me going, I don't understand why we're doing that. I need someone to explain But that's what we need in the world. Because I look um, around and I'm like, but why? Why? Yeah. Also, why do we, like, if you're, if you're so angry about us employing, like, really highly qualified women of color, like, Look at yourself and look at your choices and look at what you've done to get to this place. If you're yeah. really angry about like us tearing down Confederate statues, look at yourself, look at your choices, look at what you've done to get to this place. Like if you have, to, I think it's to your point. If you have to explain yourself. Yeah. It's to like that when people, extent, you're wrong. It's like when people say like, well, it's identity politics and I don't like identity politics. It's like, that's, fair i i sort of get what you're saying but the return question would be is if you can find someone who's qualified to do it why wouldn't you want to hire that person and say you know what we don't have any women of color or we don't have any queer people on this board i don't understand why the idea of saying that you're only hiring this person because they're a woman of color or because they're a queer person, instead of going, oh, well, that's a person who's qualified and they happen to be, you right. know, it's just a sort of weird thing of like, why wouldn't you just know. like want the best? Yeah. I was also just that's about to go I off on think. something else and I can't remember what it was. So it'll come back to me and then I'll yeah. do like, but a, like at the same time, sometimes people are like, someone recently texted me, bless their soul and was like, you should really make sure you're including people of color in your, like in your project. And I was like, 50% of our staff is people of color because I'm people of color and Josh isn't. That's 50%. But also Josh is the best damn sound designer and editor and music. Josh is my number two guy or my number one, number two to me. I don't know how you say that phrase. Um, he's your right hand man. He's your, he's your gal. He's my right hand man. Yeah, Gal Friday? Is that what you just said? Okay, so, okay, clearly, Nora, Nora, okay, okay, <laughs> okay, <laughs> you, okay, I am going to email <laughs> you and Josh, like, a list of five movies that you should see, like, His Girl Friday, funniest movie Maybe not the funniest movie, but like top five of the funniest movies ever made. Like ever made. So anyway, His Girl Friday is like the person who's like your right hand, your, I don't know, 
You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I get that. I, I just didn't. I, mean. I never heard the phrase before. I love it. Josh is my right hand Friday. <laughs> no, his his Josh is your gal Friday or your girl Friday. My gal Friday. He's my gal um, Friday. Okay. He's can my we, gal Friday. <laughs> can we can we just stop and talk for a second about? Yeah. Okay. So every time Josh sends me a preview, I like. I'm like, I don't know what to, what it's going to be. Like, is this going to be what I sound? Is this what it going to be like what I heard in my head? And it's always so much better than what I heard in my head that I sort of, that I sort of feel like whenever I see notes from like Kelly or Matthew, I'm always sort of like, am I supposed to be giving notes? Because this is so much better than what I thought I heard. So like, I'm not going to bother giving notes because I don't need to. That's where I was going with it. Like the thing is I surround myself. I feel like with the best of people and like, that's you, that's Kelly, that's Matthew, that's Josh. Like no matter what the color of your skin or your gender or your sexual leanings, like, and that's why I always get like Josh involved in all kinds of bullshit that Josh is probably like, I don't want to be involved in this. Like, why is she calling me again? Poor Josh. Um, but like, that's the thing for me is I'm always like, why wouldn't you just want the best? Right. Like, you know, like Matthew and Kelly took a chance on me because they felt that way about me, which is absolutely wildly untrue. But they didn't say like, oh, she's like a Latino creative producer. They were like, we think she's the person that's going to do this. And so like, I think if everyone just examined that and was like, like the thing is I just want to be successful and change the world for people and make the world better. And if everyone just thought like that and was like, I just want to be a, so like, that's why I have Josh. Josh is a straight white man, but Josh is the best fucking sound designer I've ever met. And that's right. why I have Josh on my team. No matter what, you're one of the best fucking writers I've ever met. And it doesn't matter that you're black and queer because you're the one of the best fucking writers. Okay, I'm going to stop like, you for a second here. Anything is. So this scene here. So, oh, sorry. I don't know if we're still talking about the movie. Mostly I'm just drunk. But we're at two hours and 45 <laughs> seconds. I don't know if we're still supposed to talk about it or what. I'm super slurry right now. I'm sorry. But so this Wait, scene Wait, how are happened. you at, You said one hour and 45 seconds because I'm at No, two hours. Minutes. Two hours and, okay. So- when that happened, I literally screamed <laughs> in the theater. No! <laughs> because I was Wait, like, what time is it? Because I'm at one hour, 58 minutes. How are you at one hour and 50 minutes? Okay, so it happens essentially at two hours. And it, how are you at one hour and 50 minutes? ahead of me. What happened? What happened? One hour, 58 minutes, not 15. Oh, Okay. 58. That makes more sense, but it's still right. kind of so pretty you're far. Three off. minutes behind me. That's okay. I am. Oh, okay. Okay. Wait, I should remember. I watch it and see what happens so that you can see my reaction? Um, what happens at two hours that you freaked out? Um, I'll tell you. Well, you watch it and I'll tell you. I'll just keep talking for like two minutes because that's super okay, easy. For okay, okay. Wait, why did she wear a creepy mask this whole time? Did we uh, ever get an explanation for her creepy mask? So back in the back in the early 1900s, if you had kind of um, if you had any facial scarring, so like people who got wounded during the war or people who had disfiguring accidents, they would actually mold um, porcelain uh, ceramic. Excuse me, I think it was ceramic. They would actually mold ceramic um, to your face. So you could, and that was somehow less scary. Like wearing half of a doll's face was less scary than just like having your scar. Okay, so there is. I actually, that's <laughs> okay. There was a political scandal. I don't know if you guys might be too young for this. There was a political scandal in New York, maybe like ten or fifteen years ago. You guys are going to be way too young for this, but. There's a political like scandal. Like, still wearing wedges while being completely encased in weird stuff from a car. Continue. Yes. So, there was a 
there was a New York congressman who got accused of harassing like a male staffer or volunteer or something like that. And his excuse was, (laughs) his excuse was, oh, when I touched him, we were having a tickle fight in the office. And so I didn't mean to be inappropriate. And I'm like, how is that less, how is that more acceptable than just saying, you know what? I hit on someone who was over 21 in an inappropriate manner and I shouldn't have done it. And I'm sorry. It's like, you just made it more creepy by trying to make an excuse of you were having a tickle fight. Like how many grown people have I'm group sorry, tickle how fights? How do you not have group tickle fights? <laughs> I just think I, I'm like- I'm very confused on this topic. Um, <laughs> how do you not have group tickle fights? It's just- Oh wait, this is, I'm at two hours. Does What's happening? Is he gonna get hurt? Is he gonna die? Oh okay. my God. There she goes. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh, I should have stopped it at two hours. Wait, where? Oh. what time are you at right now, Nora? Oh. I'm, go back. I'm at two hours, one minute and 17 seconds where she jumps out of the road and is like, oh my God, he died. Okay. So now I'm with you. Okay. Well, I'm a, I'm a couple seconds ahead, but it's better than being two minutes ahead. Um, shoot, I literally don't remember what I was saying. Oh, I'm so sorry. I got us off track with the wire. No, no, no. That's totally fine. Wait, I'm going to switch to water for a minute so I don't get really hung over tomorrow. I don't know if that's true. I think it is, but I also have been drinking, so I don't know if my thoughts are helpful. I'm like super tempted to call my sisters after this because I like the idea of talking to them while I'm wasted is really funny to me. <laughs> I really want to meet them so much. Also, I'm so glad I whitened my teeth before this episode. Okay. I'm going to tell you a story. I don't care if this goes in Josh, but this is going to be a story that one day I'm going to write about. Okay. So oh, I want to hear about it so bad then. So growing up in the 70s, um, okay, so growing up in the 70s, I had two older sisters, my mom, my dad, me. So there were five of us in the house. My father was very much- Wait, the before times for all of our viewers that are listening to this post-pandemic. Yes. It was in the before times. This was in the 70s, like the way before times. So Yeah, the way before times. I just wanted to clarify that things were normal back then. before (laughs) Before the dead roamed the earth. So my dad was one of those people who was like, okay, so when you would go to the grocery store and you used to get like the paper bags, my dad, we would bring them home and my dad would cut like the top of the paper bag off. And then we would use the short portion as our lunch bag for the week. So like we would put our sandwiches and our like carrot sticks and whatever in that bag. And then that would be our lunch bag for the week. So we'd have to like fold it up afterwards and put it in our jacket or our, in our like pocket or something and bring it home. So we'd have to use that for weeks. So that's the kind of man, like my dad was very, my parents were both depression era parents. So we were very much worried about money. Like, like we didn't have recycling. We had the town dump and there was like a portion of the town dump where people would like leave furniture and take furniture or leave books and take books. And then there was the landfill portion. So it wasn't like, I, you know, we was always very concerned about, you know, like I said, depression, our parents always very concerned about money. So one day, Josh, I really want you to put your camera on so I can see your face when I finish the story. So, um, okay. Yay. So one day in our lunch, we start getting, Cracker Jacks boxes. And my sisters and I were like, that's weird. This is not something that we would normally do because my dad would charge us for cans of soda. He would be like, well, if you go buy it at the grocery store, it's 35 cents, but I'm only charging you 25 cents. So you're saving an extra 10 cents. And you can just buy it for me. That is such a dad thing, though. That's like, I just want to throw that out there that that is a 
dad move. My dad does shit like that all the time. And I'm just like, dad, why though? Why? <laughs> why? You want to know something? I'm working for him for free so that he will help me with my student <laughs> loans. Why, dad? Why? Why, dad? Continue. Just the dad move. Dad. So... Um, so one day in our lunch bags, we started getting Cracker Jacks and we were like, what is this? Like, this is a treat. What's going on? So it goes on for like a week and like for our bedtime Your dad snack, was kidnapped by aliens. Cracker Jacks. And so finally my sister was Dad's like, don't do that. Dad. Dad, don't do that. So finally my sister was like, where did you get the Cracker Jacks? And my dad is like, Oh, I found a big box of Cracker Jacks at the dump. <laughs> and I brought it home. <laughs> and we were like, you did what? And he's like, I tested it first. I ate them and I was fine. So I knew they were that is so dead. And I that is like, what dad, are he's you? Dad talking about he peaked peak dad so so peak dad so so now i want to be very i love my dad i would die for my dad he's the best dad in the world but that's my that's my dad so like that's the mentality that i grew up with Uh, i understand yeah Thanks for listening to another episode of the behind the scenes content for Wonder Woman Spirit of Truth by Don't Sue Us, Please. If you want more content like this, you can find us where all podcasts are streamed. Go give us a follow on social media. We're on all platforms at at the superhero podcast. Also, feel free to support us on Patreon. We're on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the superhero podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>